Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am here to kind of preview the season and predict the way the season's going to go with fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What's going on, man? It's uh, Friday afternoon. I'm in my pajama pants. It's a good day. It is a good day. You stepped away from the uh, from our video chat for a second. And uh, I, I was singing some Christmas carols, so I'm sad that you that you missed that, and I'm I'm sad that people missed that too. But it's not only about uh, Christmas and the holidays right now; it's also about the NBA season about to tip off. There's only a different a couple- kind of holiday. Yeah, yeah. Some would say the best kind, although perhaps that's shallow. A couple of days of preseason ball left, and the season tips off Tuesday night, December 22nd. Then we go right into the Christmas quintuple header and a whole bunch of good stuff and juicy matchups. So. We're going to do our annual season preview predictions pod today. That's the episode you're in store for, but we figured we would do it a little differently this year and rather than just kind of doing the mundane run through the order in each conference and pick conference finalists and finalists that we would do 10 bold predictions for the season, which in and of itself will kind of incorporate some team predictions and player predictions, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to do 10 bold predictions for the season, five each. So let's not waste any time. We're going to go about five or six minutes probably on each one and give you a nice hour of bold predictions that you can ruminate over over the the weekend and the f- coming days going into the season. So Joe Wolfon, let's not waste time. Start us off. What is your first bold prediction of the season? So it's kind of a two-parter, but I think that the Clippers are going to finish with the best record in the league and that the Pistons are going to finish with the worst record in the league. I don't know how bold those actually are. I think honestly given how uninspiring the Clippers looked in preseason, then some might view that as a pretty bold prediction, you know, especially obviously given how last season ended for them and uh, the disjointedness that seems to define that team. And then with the Pistons, I think, I think probably a lot of people expect that like the Knicks or the Cavs are going to be worse than them this year, but, or, or the Thunder for that matter, right? Like a team that is more than any other team, deliberately tanking it seems so with all that in mind I do think it's maybe a little bit outside the box to think that the Pistons are actually going to be the team that winds up with the worst record in the league but I just don't like the roster construction there I think there's a chance like either Blake Griffin isn't going to get back to the level that he was at before or close to it and the clip the Pistons will be really bad for that reason or he'll get back to something resembling that form and the Pistons still won't be good enough, so they'll try and trade them. But I think one way or another, they're going to be really, really bad. I think the Pistons are going to be really bad, but I think the roster construction is deplorable and the talent level isn't good by any means. But I think there is still enough talent, especially to start the season while Blake's there. And I think Dwayne Casey will milk every ounce of that talent during the season enough that not that they'll get in the playoff mix or anything like that, not even for the play in, but that I think it'll be enough to like, if we're literally talking about whether they're going to finish with the worst record or not, I think it'll be enough to win more games than the Knicks because you look at that Knicks roster. And I know you could say the same thing about Tom Thibodeau, how he's going to try to like squeeze out every win, even though it doesn't behoove the Knicks to do so. But if you just look at the two rosters and again, we have to only look at like what's going on right now, you know, and the rosters, the way they are as currently constructed, I think the Pistons have like a noticeable and sizable talent advantage over the Knicks right now. And that says a hell of a lot more than the Knicks than it does about the Pistons. Yeah, well, the thing with the Pistons is they're giving their 
starting point guard job over to an 18-year-old rookie. And look, I think Killian Hayes has a chance to be a really good player long-term, but rookie point guards, especially ones that young, tend to be pretty bad. And if the Pistons are treating this basically as a developmental season for him, which I think they should, and I don't have any issue with them handing him the starting point guard job. Like, he is their most important player uh, right now. So I think that's fine. I just think that it might lead to a lot of losses this season and, you know, a very steep learning curve. So I'm just looking up and down that roster, and I've said this before, like, there really isn't a lot of shooting. I don't know how their half-court offense is going to function with the lack of spacing that they have. And I, you know, I don't think that Jeremy Grant stepping into a larger offensive role is going to be great for him or the Pistons. And as much as it would be great to see Blake Griffin get back to, you know, being the all-star caliber player that he's been for most of his career, I just think it's going to be tough for him to do so within the confines of that very clogged offense. So I, I don't like their their outlook on the offensive side of the ball I don't think it's that much better at the defensive end obviously there's more defensive talent there you know with Grant Mason Plumlee is like a you know okay defensively but outside of that it's like Blake Griffin's not a great defender Derrick Rose is a poor defender uh like I mean Siku Dumboya could be a good defender but he's still a bit of a raw project um so I see them as being like pretty comfortably like I think bottom five offense and probably bottom 10 on defense as well, which to me amounts to one of the worst, if not the worst records in the league. In terms of your Clippers prediction, I'm surprised by it because I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if you picked the Clippers to win it all. Cause I know you're, you're, I mean, we're both high on the Clippers, but you're higher on them and, and you picked them to win it last year. But it surprises me that you think they're going to be the best regular season team. Um, just because like, I mean, we're not breaking news here when we say that I don't think you can count on, Kawhi PG to load up on minutes and games played in a regular, let alone in a truncated season, right? When they they had a short off season anyway. So that would be my biggest concern with them during the regular season is that, you know, just like last year, I I don't think maybe Paul George plays more this year because he's not coming off double shoulder surgery, but Kawhi, we pretty much know. Like the fact that it's a shorter season isn't going to change his approach to the regular season. He's still going to treat it. It's just going to be 72 practices instead of 82, you know, and... um He's going to have his nights off and, and we'll see, unless, I don't know, Ty Lue's influence is really that great, but, but that's what would concern me if we're talking about racking up regular season wins. I think that there might be more of an emphasis there on the regular season, not for the sake of racking up regular season wins, but just for the sake of actually trying to get that team on the same page and build a sense of continuity and stability and chemistry that they lacked last year. And I think that the way they treated the regular season last year kind of came back to bite them in the playoffs. And there were a lot of other mitigating circumstances that led to, you know, that defeat at the hands of the Nuggets. And one of them had to do with just how well the Nuggets played. Like, I don't want them to get forgotten in all this. But I think the fact is, the, the fact that PG only played 48 games and that Kawhi was in and out of the lineup and that they really didn't have a lot of time playing with both of those guys healthy and dressed led to a lot of the disjointedness and dysfunction that plagued that team and that undid them come playoff time. So I think they might actually place a little bit more focus on the regular season this year. And I also think there's a chance that the load management thing, like even if they do kind of go about it the same way, will 
be balanced out by the fact that a lot of other teams might be taking a similar approach, including the Lakers, right? Given their really short turnaround and the fact that LeBron has basically already come out and said that he is going to take it a little bit easier at the start of the season because they've only had a couple of months off. So between that, the fact that I think the Clippers really do have more to prove than pretty much any team this year uh, makes me feel like they're going to have a really strong regular season. And I think I would probably still pick the Lakers to beat them in a playoff series. But I think because of how last season ended for them, people have forgotten how good this Clippers team still is. And like, you know, they finished second in offense and fifth in defense last year. Like if they can replicate that again, be top five on both sides of the ball, then I think uh, they have a pretty good chance of having the league's best record. And that's also a reflection to me of the fact that I expect the Bucks to be considerably worse in the regular season this year than they were last year too. Um, I like their playoff prospects a bit better, but I think given the the hit that their depth took, uh, they're not going to be the same kind of regular season force. So, Okay, well, I think this is a good segue for me to go into uh, my first bold prediction because we're talking about the Clippers and the Nuggets. And my first bold prediction is that we're going to get a repeat Western Conference Finals, a.k.a. Oh, wow. the Clippers won't be there and the Nuggets will be. It's one thing to kind of like try piecing together rosters in your head as the off season's unfolding and transactions are happening and think, okay, this is what I think is, but when you actually sit down and like take time to like go through rosters, look at like go through numbers, watch film, like whatever you just get like, like you, when you dive into it deeper, sometimes you come to different conclusions. And I think what surprised me is when I sat down these last couple of days to like really hone in on like making predictions for the season, it just kind of struck me that like, yeah, I think the nuggets are a better team than the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is the best player between the two teams. Not arguing that. That that is 100% certain. However, and yeah, like some of the bubble is obviously influencing my decision here, but I'm not only basing it on that, but still. I think if you look at what transpired in the bubble, the trends in general of like where the teams and players are going, the point in their careers each star is at, while Kawhi Leonard is undoubtedly the best player between these two teams, I don't believe the gap between a Kawhi PG duo and a Nikola Jokic Jamal Murray duo is anywhere as large as we thought it was last year, um, and, and maybe as large as some people still think it is. Again, Kawhi is the best player between those four, but I don't think the gap between the duos is honestly that large. And yeah, that has a little bit to do with Paul George slightly falling off. It has a lot to do with Jamal Murray, you know, having an otherworldly couple months in the bubble. And like I said, and where, you know, each guy is at this point in their career. And I think that outside of like the, the star duos for each team, I just think the nuggets are a better built team. Once you go past those top two guys, I think they're deeper, they're younger. I think they're a little more flexible. I just like that nuggets team more. And we literally saw this team rally back from three, one down against what was probably a better Clippers team. I don't think it was a better Clippers team last year, especially if you're talking specifically about their matchup with the Nuggets, because first off, like the number one thing I think that killed the Clippers in that series, and there were a lot of things, but the the Montrez Harrell minutes when Nikola Jokic was on the floor yeah. were so disastrous. So there's that. That's not going to be an issue this year. Uh, they're, they're still going to have a Jokic problem because... You know, I actually thought Zubac did okay on him. Like, a lot of the buckets that Jokic scored on Zubac were, like, difficult shots that only Nikola Jokic could hit. It wasn't like he was consistently getting super deep post position or juking him off his feet. Like, Zubac was good. 
Um, Zubac is good. I just want to add, by the way, like, I feel like the Clippers, like I was going to say he's underrated. I feel like he's underrated by his own team more than he's underrated by fans. Right. So like, just like look at that series from last year. Okay. And, and all like PG and Kawhi in game seven, both of them being like complete non-factors, not even non-factors, like negative factors. They were terrible in that game seven. Jamal Murray absolutely went off, dropped a 40-piece in that Game 7. Not that he had like some otherworldly series up to that point, but I think all the things that had to go right for the Nuggets to win that series and all the things that had to go wrong for the Clippers, the fact that the Nuggets lost Jeremy Grant, who was their primary defender on Kawhi in that series, and I thought did a really wonderful job. Who on the Nuggets is guarding Kawhi and PG this time around? Yeah, I mean, I guess Jermichael Green. <laughs> it's not ideal, right? Like, it's... Well, their wing defenders like Gary Harris PG. Gary Harris did a decent job on PG at points. Oh, in that yeah, look, like like Gary Harris and Will Barton as your wing defenders is is good. Like Gary Harris is a wonderful defender. Will Barton I think is pretty good, but those guys are small, man. Like yeah, they're not Gary Harris six four, and he's strong, but like to to ask him to guard like you know six seven Kawhi who's probably got like thirty pounds on him is a big ask. Will Barton is a little bit taller. He's 6'5", but he weighs like 190 pounds. Like he's one of the lightest wing players in the league. So I don't love their options for guarding a team like the Clippers that has that kind of power wing talent. Um, And again, like the the Clippers will have their own issues trying to guard Jokic, but I think the issues are starker for Denver having to guard the Clippers. Well, we'll find out in... uh approximately six months five months when the when the conference finals roll around and one of us is wrong and one of us is right or maybe we're both maybe we're both wrong maybe it's a completely surprised western conference final i do want to add before we get to your next bold prediction that i was talking about like you know coming to surprising results as you sit down and like really dive into stuff another kind of like realization i came to is that the only three teams and i'm putting the nuggets in there but the only three teams in the west where i'm like completely confident that they will avoid the play-in are the two LA teams in Denver. The West is still a bloodbath, man. I mean, we both like the Suns. We both like the Blazers. Um, you know, I believe in Golden State's upside at least still. The Jazz are still really solid. Dallas. Dallas. Luka is Luka, right? Like, if you consider that the two LA teams in Denver will make up the top three, we just talked about five teams. At least two of those five are going to be in a play-in. The West is just kind of like impossible to peg because a team that we think, two teams that we think are at worst fringe contenders are going to have to play in just to get into the playoffs. I think Denver also just has the advantage of Jokic being so durable. Like, he just never gets hurt. Um, and continuity and, in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, they're they're well-built for the regular season. Um, but I do think the Grant loss, as much as I don't think that... Like, I think they almost got let off the hook for, you know, him not taking their money and going to Detroit instead. <laughs> Because three years, 60, as I've said before, is just like too much money for Jeremy Grant. But I do think that's something that can hurt them in the playoffs. I think they'll be all right in the regular season. But uh, I think they've got a little bit less viable as a Western Conference playoff team, specifically because of the type of wings they're going to have to go up against and Grant no longer being there. Um, But sorry, when you said a repeat of the Conference Finals, did that only apply to the West or you think in the East as well? Just the West. Just the West. Just the West. Okay. So why don't we move over to the East then? Because my next bold prediction is that the Brooklyn Nets are going to finish sixth in the East wow. and they're going to be out before the conference finals. What do wow. you think of that? I mean, uh, we were talking off air yesterday like about how 
you take that top six in the East and I can talk myself into any one of those six making the finals. And I can just as easily talk myself into any of those six losing in the first round. I, I just mentioned that Western Conference bloodbath. The East has a bloodbath in its own right. And it's not as deep, you know, maybe those teams aren't at risk of like missing the playoffs, but they could very easily be first round out. It's so hard for me to make any kind of prediction about this team because everything to me comes down to KD. Like for everything I've said about this team, for all the stuff I've said about like the volatility of a Kyrie and KD led locker room and, you know, the no defense at the end of the day, man, like to me, if Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, none of that stuff matters to me almost. I think if Kevin Durant is what he was, the Nets are winning the East. I truly believe that. The what problem if Kevin is, Durant, sorry, I'll let you finish. Go I was going to say the problem is, is that like, is it at all reasonable to expect that a near seven footer on the wrong side of 30 coming off an 18 month playoff due to an Achilles rupture could possibly be as good as he once was. He could still be really good. You know, like I think, I think um, it was Kevin Pelton that was writing about if you take like the history of Achilles injuries, if you go by like the amount of value on average that they've lost just statistically production wise year to year, and you apply that to KD this year, it would mean that he would be like a Paul George level player this year. instead. And the thing is, hey, that's still good. To be able to come back from an Achilles injury in an 18-month layoff and still be Paul George is really good. But if Karen Durant is Paul George this year, then the Nets aren't winning these. Then I actually agree with you. I think they're a first round out. It's just, how the hell do we know? Stylistically, like Dirk is a way better comparison than, than Paul George. Um, just in terms of what, a sort of diminished KD might look like, which is basically a guy who's still close to seven feet who can shoot the lights out from any spot on the floor and is still basically going to be unguardable. But I think that, you know, where we might see him take a step back is, is defense. So what, what I was going to ask uh, was, okay, what if KD is more or less the same guy offensively, but defensively he's not the same? But can this team yeah. defend well enough to, you know, finish ahead of one of those other five teams in the East that, you know, we think are kind of going to be bunched up in that top six and then make their way to the conference finals or potentially beyond? Because I think, you know, looking around the conference and the kind of teams that they might run into, the reason I'm making this pick is just because I think I, I see a lot of those other teams as having the personnel to do a reasonable job of defending the Nets, whereas I don't think I can say the same going the other direction. And I, yeah, I just don't, I mean, barring a mid-season trade, and that's like, I don't know if we'll get into that on this episode. Everything's kind of up in the air with the Harden thing. And like, that's sort of the elephant in the room, right? That's the, the real swing factor this season is like, is Harden going to get traded? Where is he going to get traded? And if he gets traded to the East, like I would feel pretty comfortable in saying that the team he gets traded to in the East becomes the favorite to come out of the conference. But for now, it's just kind of a jumble and it's all going to come down to matchups and health and which of those teams is peaking at the right time. And like you said, I, I totally agree. I can see any one of those teams winning the conference. I, I don't think I'd go as far as to say I can see any of them losing, losing in the first round. Like I, I don't expect Milwaukee to be losing in the first round. Um, I honestly don't really expect Boston to lose in the first round either. But again, it is all going to come down to matchups, right? And if it's like Boston and Brooklyn in a 3-6 in the first round, then who knows? 
Yeah, what if like, you know, uh, something breaks wrong for Milwaukee that affects their seeding and for some reason them and Miami end up in like a 4-5. It's unlikely, but it's not Yeah. It's not crazy when we're talking about six teams that are very hard to separate. Yeah, the point is those are six really really good teams that are good enough if they reach their ceilings to win the conference and the wrong matchup or you know, just an untimely shooting lull, like whatever it happens to be, like two of those teams aren't making it out of the first round. And I think, you know, yeah, Brooklyn absolutely is one of those teams that might not make it out of the first round. And to me, it's just, they have a lot of questions to answer on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what's giving me pause. Like for them to, for them to make it to the conference finals, for them to finish higher than sixth in the East, their offense needs to be super special, I think. And it could be, it could be. Imagine a lineup of Kyrie, one of Levert or Dinwiddie, yeah. Harris, Durant, and Jared Allen. Like, to me, you want to talk about potential to be special offense. Like, that might be one of the greatest offensive liners we've ever seen. And I, I don't, I'm not picking them to win the title. I'm, I'm not even sure if they get out of these. I'm just saying that you had asked me the question if, if I think, you know, if Durant comes back at what he was offensively but not defensively, do I still think they can do it? And I think they can just because I think. Usually, yeah, I'm all about like equal value both sides of the court. Like you need defensive problem solvers and you need to be a defensive problem solving team to win in the playoffs. But I do think there are times when on one end of the court, a team is just so overwhelmingly good that it almost doesn't matter. And I think the Nets offensive ceiling this season has that kind of potential, at least to get out of the East. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm just not fully seeing it. And maybe like a couple of games with a rejuvenated Kevin Durant will completely change my mind. But I, a lot of it comes down to Levert too, right? Who's sort of supposed to be like a third star on this team. And I like Levert's game a lot aesthetically. Um, I think he can do a lot of really interesting stuff with the ball in his hands, his like kind of change of pace, his herky-jerky dribble drive game, his playmaking, like all of that stuff is really impressive to me. But I just don't think any of it's really going to play up while playing alongside Durant and Irving. And whether he can be an effective off-ball player is still very much... Uh, an open question as far as I'm concerned. It sounds like he's going to be their sixth man, but is he going to be part of their closing lineups? What's that going to look like? Um, as much as theoretically he has defensive upside, he hasn't really showed a ton of it in his career so far. So uh, he's not necessarily helping them at that end of the floor. Um, you know, is DeAndre going to continue to start over Jared Allen? How is that situation going to resolve itself? Uh, there's just a lot of questions with this team. And I think I have a lot more certainty in the other teams in that kind of like top tier in the East, especially in the regular season, uh, being better than them. And then I just think it's going to be tough for them to to win two series given their limitations. All right. Well, you want to hear an Eastern Conference bold prediction? I do. The Bucks failed to make the East finals again. I mean, of course you're going to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think that we're both probably just going to end up doubling down on our predictions from last season, right? You still believe in the heat. I'm still going to be a heat doubter. I can already feel it. I'm still going to, I'm going to like double down on my Bucks belief and my Clippers belief. You're going to continue to doubt those teams. It's going to be great. We'll just do it all over again. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I mean, it worked pretty well for us last year. Um, people seem to like the show. All honesty though, the Bucks. I think the Bucks got a little better postseason wise than they were a year ago. I don't think they improved by enough to alleviate my concerns with this team. Look, I like Drew Holiday. Like his two-way game. 
I don't know if Drew Holiday is the type of shot creator that they needed to put beside Giannis to supplement this team. They also still like Drew Holiday isn't exactly, I'm not saying he's not a good north-south player that can penetrate defense, but he's not exactly the type of like rim attacking guard that like one of the issues I had with this team last year, you know, and it was, I talked about it all year after the loss of Brogdon was that they didn't really have anyone that could consistently get to the rim other than Giannis. And I get, you could throw Eric Bledsoe in there, but like Bledsoe kind of stopped doing it halfway through last year. And you, they still don't really have that guy. Now they lost Bledsoe and replaced them with Holiday. They just don't have that guy. And to me, it's still the same issue where it's like, okay, yes, stopping Giannis is a lot easier said than done. And I know like 95% of teams can't do it. But if you run into a team, which there are a couple in the East that can at least slow Giannis down and you eliminate his ability to get to the rim at will, a lot of the same issues with this team still exist. And and they lost some shooting as well with George. Like They're still really good. They still have the reigning two-time MVP. They absolutely can get out of the East and and maybe win the title because Giannis is that good and they're still a good team overall. But I don't think they've really addressed to the full extent the issues that have held them back in the playoffs the last couple of years. And again, we just had a conversation about how stacked the top six is and how thin the margins of separations are between these teams. If they ran into the heat in the playoffs again, I'd pick Miami again because I still think Bam, Bam's going to do what he does and... You know, I, I mean, we've got like 11 episodes from last year about me detailing why I think Miami would beat Milwaukee in the playoffs. Like, I agree Holiday is not an elite shot creator and maybe not the first guy they would pick if their sole focus was, okay, we need somebody who's going to fix our half-court offense in a playoff setting. But he does give them another option of a guy who can basically run a pick and roll with Giannis as the screener and provide the threat of shooting a jumper off of the dribble out of the pick and roll, like actually put a thought in the defense's head that he might take a pull-up jumper and in that way, open up some rolling avenues for Giannis in a way that Eric Bledsoe could not do. Like basically the only person on the roster who could do that last year was Middleton. They didn't really use the Middleton Giannis pick and roll as often as I thought they should have. The big thing for me is just, Like, I don't think Giannis can be playing at the top of the floor as often as he is. And part of that's incumbent on him, too. He could be really effective if he's, like, catching the ball in the mid-post and going to the triple threat and developing his face-up game to the point that he has almost, like, less of a runway. Like, I know that runway has been really beneficial for him, but that also gives the defense so much more time to load up and to recover out to shooters when they kind of deny that initial penetration. And if he's able to work his in-between game to the point that, like, you know, he has a push shot, he has some post moves, like, his face-up game is more refined so that when he's catching the ball, you know, from, like, 15 feet out, he can still get to the rim. He's just making things a little bit more difficult for the defense. And and part of that's on him, part of that's on Bud. But I do think Holiday gives them another initiator, maybe not an elite one, but a solid one, who can handle the ball and whether it's just kind of like making a basic entry pass, running a pick and roll, you know, spotting up. He's a much better catch and shoot player than, than Bledsoe was. Obviously he just gives them more options. And I think that's a big thing for them. Like their, their postseason half court offense 
needs to have more variability. And that to me, more than anything involves just like moving Giannis off the top of the floor more than they've done in the last couple of postseasons. And if they can survive defensively, which I actually think they have the personnel to do, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Augustine in some of those closing lineups because again, like, yeah, another team is going to target Augustine. He'll be the weak link. But if you've got Giannis and Brooke Lopez behind him, I think that you can survive that. And Augustine, you know, for all his shortcomings, is a very good pick-and-roll guard and a, a really good shooter and an underrated passer and somebody who I'd actually feel comfortable with initiating possessions late in playoff games. So that's another way that they can go, I think, if they really need that injection of offense. So have Drew and DJ both on the court and then Middleton, Giannis, Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, if... And I don't believe, like, a lot of people seem to want to boil their defensive issues down to Brooke Lopez not being able to stay on the floor in a playoff game and, like, their drop defense being this big problem. To me, their biggest Brooke Lopez-related issue in the playoffs last year was that Bud didn't play him enough. They were, like, the minutes where, where Brooke was on the floor in that Miami series, I think they were, like, pretty close to even in terms of scoring margin. Like, they were actually pretty good with them on the floor, but... But Bud just didn't play him enough. And I don't know. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. But again, like if if it comes down to it and they're like, we can't play this drop. It's killing us. And we don't feel comfortable varying up our defensive scheme. We don't want Brooke hedging or switching. Even though I think that could work because like having a guy like Giannis on the back line, I think gives you a little bit more flexibility to change up how you're playing pick and roll with your other big man. Obviously, they they have like preferred to play Lopez in a deep drop. Feel that's where he's most effective. And if they decide they can't do it, then maybe they can go Augustine, Divincenzo, Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, and hope that they can survive defensively to the point that like their offense can really play up in a smaller lineup like that. One thing that I thought was interesting, you mentioned, you know, Giannis catching the ball at different points in the floor, maybe in like the mid post and elbow, like just not always attacking from from the top. I don't know if you remember this, but when the Bucks came to Toronto last season, uh, they beat the Raptors in a, in a really good game. Um, Giannis's playmaking really stood out in that game. And he was doing it from different spots on the floor that like I hadn't really seen much of before. And I, I asked him about it and wrote about this after that game. And he specifically mentioned, and this was like mid-season last year, he specifically mentioned um, essentially that him and Bud and like the Bucks as a whole were trying to diversify the way he initiates offense. And so he wanted to play, like be a playmaker from other spots on the floor, catch it at different points of the floor so that he's not as predictable an offensive player. And, uh, and yeah, you bringing it up kind of reminded me of that because then we didn't really see that in the playoffs, right? Which honestly is often the case with, with guys and teams where it's like the playoffs come and you kind of, you kind of, um, revert back to your, old predictable habits because it's really hard to do new stuff in the playoffs against playoff defenses. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the amount of time that has now elapsed has like allowed him to get even more comfortable with that. And if he can do it all season, instead of just like here and there, maybe by the time the playoffs roll around, he'll actually be comfortable doing it. And the Bucks will be comfortable giving him the ball in those spots. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bottom line for me is like, when we talk about the, the schematic versatility that the Bucks need to get over the hump, to me, 
it's more of an issue on offense than it is on defense. Mm-hmm. I think their defense in the last two playoffs has held up more or less fine. Right, and, and, and that's what I'm saying, right? Like, do, do you think they've really, with Holiday, mm-hmm. do you think they have addressed that need for that secondary shot creator enough to the point? I mean, it's different because I'm saying they're not even going to get to the East Finals, and, and now right. I'm asking you to, enough to just win the East. But I, I think that ultimately it will come down to Giannis, and has he developed enough of those counters? Has he honed his in-between game to the extent that that unpredictability is actually going to be possible? Um, I think, you know, just having him be the screener in the pick and roll more often would be a good, a good place to start. And I do think holiday helps them do that. And the post game, obviously, like that's just something we'll have to wait and see like whether that ever comes around, but there's also like an underplayed part of that, which is just his free throw shooting, which is now, you know, like a five year trend of it completely falling off in the playoffs. And I don't really have a way to explain it aside from saying like it's mental right like how do you have a guy who shoots 72 percent from the free throw line in the regular season drop to 63 percent in the postseason like that's a huge dip and we see it happen every single year I mean in that conference final series against the Raptors where he shot 58 percent from the line 35 of 60 right he missed 25 free throws in a six game series a series that the Bucks lost by a grand total of six points like it's an issue. And I just don't know, like, if that crops up again, it cropped up in that Miami series. It was a big problem. And if that happens again, like, it's going to be really difficult for for the Bucs. And I don't know, like, there's no way to predict what's going to happen with that, right? Except to say, Giannis has changed his free throw shooting form. And it does not seem to have helped. Like, there was a preseason game a few nights ago where I think he missed his first six free throws. So whatever's going on with that, uh, Obviously, they need to get that sorted out by the time the playoffs roll around. But look, if I was predicting, will the Bucks make it to the conference finals this year? I would say yes, but I don't think that I would do it with a great degree of confidence. So, Well, at least Giannis has already signed on the dotted line, or this would be a much bigger problem for them. All right, what's your next bold prediction? My next bold prediction is that the Memphis Grizzlies will be better this season than the Golden State Warriors. Wow, okay. What do you think of that, Mr. I believe in the Warriors ceiling? I mean, it's not crazy. I've got the Grizzlies and Pelicans as like ninth and 10th right now, and that'll they'll get in the play-in, and I, I respect both those teams enough that I think they have a shot to actually get in the real playoffs. The Grizzlies are good. They're deep. They're a lot of young talent. Another year of the Jaw and Jaron Jackson combination. They added some nice talent during the draft. Jenkins is a good coach. So, okay, here's what I'd ask you. Is it like, are you predicting both teams' average health, and, and this is the case, or are you predicting, you know, like maybe... Staff won't be quite the same. like, And this is in, in some way dependent on Jaron Jackson too, right? Who, who's starting the season on the shelf recovering mm-hmm. from a torn meniscus. So yeah, average health for both teams. I'm just looking at their rosters and thinking that the Grizzlies are better. Like I, first of all, like Jaw has looked incredible and yeah. you don't want to get too much away from the preseason, but like, I just think he has a chance to be super special. And I like the the makeup of that Grizzlies team. Like, I think they have a good mix of offense and defense. I actually think that their defense has a chance to be, like, top 10 level good, especially if Winslow can stay healthy. I think that could really open some things up for them defensively and the different kind of lineups they can play, given his positional flexibility. And, look, I think Valanchunas has become one of the most underrated players in the league. He was a monster on offense last season. I think Brandon Clark 
is such a fascinating player. Like, I, I think he has a long way to go defensively, but like his physical tools, his athleticism uh, is pretty crazy. And like, obviously as a rim runner, he's already fantastic, but he's shown the ability to stretch the floor. He was ridiculously efficient as a rookie last season. And I think they're deep, man. Like their second unit is going to be really, really solid between Melton and Tyus Jones, uh, Gorgie Jang, and I, yeah, I guess it depends how their their roster is going to shake out. But like, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of defensive talent on this team. You know, between Melton and uh, Dylan Brooks, even Kyle Anderson, like a lot of good defensive players. And I think that is going to like I believe in the Grizzlies' defense more so than I believe in the Warriors' offense. I'll say that. I think for me, it just comes down to like a belief in Steph and. Last year was just such a throwaway year. Like I know they were trash when he was on the court last year too, but it's a better supporting cast this year. Better supporting cast this year. I still think maybe for one more year, Draymond can summon something because the games at least to start the year will matter again. Like they're in, they're in some sort of race, like playing for something. And I think an engaged Draymond from the jump, Steph healthy, a much better supporting cast, Steve Kerr coaching for something. I still think that's a lot to overcome for a very young Grizzlies team. It wouldn't shock me. It's just, yeah, I, I wouldn't predict it. I, I think the Warriors are still the better team with the better top-end talent. But look, man, I, I'm as big a job believer as they come. Like, I waxed poetic about him a ton of times last year, but just about how rare and unique it is for a guard, a young guard, who's able to play at that speed to also be as poised as he is and to also slow the game down and play like in slow motion. You know, it's just like so rare for a guy to be able to do both. And Ja does it like few guards I've seen before. So I believe in that Grizzlies team. I just, I don't believe in them more than I believe in Steph Curry, right? In a healthy Steph. And uh, and that's kind of what it comes down to, to for me. But um, that's why it's a bold prediction, my man. It is. It's It's bold. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. My next bold prediction is that Carl Anthony Towns asks to be traded at some point this season. Okay. What, so, what does he have? Four years left on his deal or three? Yeah, he's got four years left on his deal. You know, you want to talk bold prediction. They brought in D'Angelo Russell. Last, oh, what were you going to say? You're just oh, about sorry. to say. Before, before you go any further. It is just like a top of your head question because I'm struggling. Like I'm racking my brain. Has a player ever asked for a trade with four years left on their contract? Maybe not. Maybe not. But uh, I think it'll happen. I don't think this is that far-fetched, man. There were rumblings last season in the first year of his extension. They bring in D'Angelo Russell, who's a friend of his. That team has no defense whatsoever. There is a lot of talent there. A lot of offensive talent. And, and I'm not doubting that, like between Towns and Russell and Beasley, and obviously they just drafted Anthony Edwards, like Jaden McDaniels, who they drafted. There is a lot of talent there, but potential for defensive disaster is incredible. And I just think in that Western conference, they are going to be kind of a dumpster fire, all told. They're not going to be in the playoff race. 
And I just think that as the losses start to pile up again, and it's just more losing for Towns, I think we will get to a point where Carl Anthony Towns asks out. Is it insane to think of a guy asking out with four years? Yes, absolutely. Again, we're talking bold predictions. But I think he has lost enough games there. And look, you know, I've written about why he has to shoulder some of that blame too. So I'm not at all trying to make it seem like he's been this like picture perfect franchise player who's been wronged there. But I just think he he's incurred way too many basketball losses there. And um, time moves quick in the NBA, man. Like I said, it's not like this is completely out of left field. Like there were rumblings last year in the first year of his extension. That yeah. That How do you think that would play if he asked out, especially given what you mentioned about how central he's been to their struggles? Over, it, it, over it would not play well. He would take a beating. Um, yeah, I, I just like, man, I, obviously, like we, we've talked about it, like what he's lost. And yeah. Like the, and, and the anguish that he is dealing with right now, like I just don't. I don't even feel comfortable like criticizing the guy right I, now. Like yeah. I don't know what to expect from him this season. Like I can't imagine playing through what he's playing through. And I, yeah, frankly, I don't know how he is going to go out there and like put the Jersey on and like give a hundred percent every game. Like I just, yeah, hundred percent. And I don't want to criticize. Like that's what I'm saying. I'm not even criticizing him right now or saying yeah. like at all commenting on how he's going to perform this season, because if anyone would have a reason to not be himself this year, it's this guy, like what he's lost on a human level far exceeds any basketball talk but i just think given how bad i think the team is going to be again regardless of how he performs or plays or anything off the court i just think in terms of being happy on a basketball level i feel like at some point this year if they're as bad as i think they're going to be again yeah that he will ask out yeah i mean i i just don't i I don't see it i think it's too early and i think that i guess it'll just be dependent on okay what do you see from edwards right like, I don't expect him to be a plus player this year because rookies basically never are, even number one picks. But is the outline of a star there? Like, are you seeing hints of, like, two-way potential? Does it look like a fit? Or does he look like a train wreck from Jump Street? And is there no indication that the ship is going anywhere anytime soon? And then you realize it's time to jump overboard. I don't expect them to be good, but if there are signs of progress, then I think that should be enough to convince them that they're moving in the right direction. And I do think, you know, they brought Rubio back, which I think will just raise their baseline, make the team overall a little bit more competent. Um, to me, like, I just don't really believe in Russell. Like, that, that is my biggest hang-up for this team. I don't think that he is the right complementary player for Towns because he compounds the defensive issues rather than helping them and I think if you know if you think about what it'll take for them to actually be even semi-competent defensively it's like if the opposing team can always just like put Towns and Russell in a pick and roll there needs to be so much help on the wing in order to actually make things difficult for an opposing offense and they don't really have that right like Okoji is good but I don't know how much he's going to play Culver, I guess, can do some interesting things. There's Rondé. Um, but, like, Edwards is also going to play a lot, and I don't think he's going to be a high-level defender off the bat. And Malik Beasley is not a high-level defender. Like, the guys who are actually going to be getting 
meaningful minutes for them on the wing aren't going to help them defensively. And the guys who actually can help them defensively would hamstring their offense to the point that, uh, you know, where the place where their bread is supposed to be buttered isn't actually going to be all that buttery. So I think they have, uh, they have some issues with that roster that uh, could lead to them being like, I have them finishing, I think 13th in the West. So I don't think it's going to be such a rosy season there in Minnesota. I don't agree that it's going to end with towns asking out, but I can sort of see where you're coming from. Just given uh, not only that he's lost a lot of games there, but just that it doesn't seem like he's getting any closer. Right. Winning games, right? All right, shall we move on? Yep. What's your next prediction? I got the Hawks missing the playoffs, and I don't know how bold that is. I guess because I think that the off season the Wizards had actually, to me, vaults them. Can I clarify one thing? Can I ask one thing? Sure. Do you have them missing the play in or? No, I think they'll make the play in. Like I don't think they'll fall outside the top ten in the East. I think in general they're just not going to be as good as people think that they're going to be. And so this was sort of my way of saying, like, I couldn't get too bold and say they'll miss the play-in because I really just think the bottom of the East is, like, such a tire fire. I don't believe in Orlando this year. I don't believe in the Bulls. I don't really believe in the Hornets. Like, it's just really hard for me to, like, find which teams are going to finish ahead of them other than Washington. So I still do think they'll finish, you know, like, at worst 10th and make the play-in. They'll probably finish 9th. But I think it's going to be like a sub-500 team that doesn't ultimately make the playoffs proper. And maybe that's not that bold. It just feels bold to me because of sort of the projections that I've seen about this team that I'm not really seeing. Like, the upside, I guess, is there. But I think there's a lot of downside, too. And I think if they wind up somewhere in the middle, I don't think they're going to be all that good. They'll be way better than they've been, without a doubt. But I still don't think they're going to be all that good. And I don't know how bold it is, but I think it's fair because there, there's there been a lot of hype around them. I mean, they had arguably the busiest offseason, at least the splashiest. A lot of it's just like the, the issues we've already talked about. We're not even sure, or we are actually pretty sure, that they can't play their best you know five together for defensive concerns and positional overlap. Just defensively in general, they're not going to be anywhere near good enough to compete for anything of significance. I still think they're, they finish seventh or eighth. Seventh. Uh, sorry, really? eighth, eighth or ninth. Sorry, eighth or ninth. Because okay. my, my next bold prediction will come after that and, and I'll explain it. But I think they finish eighth or ninth. And then, I mean, it's kind of a toss up whether they get it in the play in. But man, I think they're going to be entertaining as hell to watch for the very reasons that. They're also not going to be very good, right? When you talk about the defensive side of the ball, you combine that. Like you, when you have the offensive firepower of a team with Trey Young, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, even like John Collins in numbers wise, Capella in the middle. And then you combine that with a defense that's like very capable and almost willing to just give it all back on the other end. It's going to be entertaining to watch this team. Highly flammable in both directions. Yeah, great way to put it. I mean, I, I can use this as a segue to my next bold prediction, unless you want to talk more about the Hawks. No, we've talked about it before. I just think the roster mix is a little bit weird. They can't play all their best players at the same time. The defense is a huge concern overall. And I, I think like the, this team can get there eventually. And I also think if they make the right trade that balances their roster, then we could be telling a different story. But as currently constructed... I just don't fully see it. Like, I think their offense will be good, but I don't think their offense will be good enough 
to mitigate the defensive issues, you know, to the point that they're going to be above 500. Like I could see them being like, you know, 33 and 39, 34 and 38, that type of team, which to me feels like, you know, significantly worse than a lot of people expect them to be. And maybe I'm off base. Maybe people expect them to be about that level. Yeah, that's where I'd kind of peg them. Uh, but I think this this ends with them missing the playoffs. All right. Well, one of the teams that's going to finish ahead of them. This one's so bold, I don't even know if I believe it. The Wizards finish seventh in the East. So do the math there. Do the math. I want to see you figure this out in real time. I mean, I, I've done the math and it's extremely disrespectful. <laughs> what you've done to my Pacers. First of all, now you're saying the Wizards are going to finish seventh and that the Hawks would finish eighth or ninth. So That's you're correct. saying the Pacers could finish as low as ninth. That's correct. Disgusting. Okay, so we, we can get to the Wizards after because I think the Wizards. <laughs> no, 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 are... Yes, this is going to become a Pacers segment. Let's start with the Pacers. What what is going on in your head? Why <laughs> why do you think that this is going to happen? I just feel like this team has overachieved for a couple of years now. I think the Oladipo situation is just like a disaster waiting to happen where it's like now he's saying all the right things. Give it like six games into the season and then we'll all remember that he doesn't want to be there and that'll create issues in its own right. I was a big fan of what TJ Warren did last year. I don't know how much I believe in him being that player again. The Sabonis-Turner things, like I, I like Sabonis a lot, but at some point they got to figure out what to do with that tandem. Um, maybe Nate Bjorken ends up being a whiz kid and, and figures this team out, but... I don't know. I just feel like they're due to regress. And then the Wizards, who I've been as critical of this franchise as anyone over the last few years. And I don't think they're a good team. But like I sat down and started thinking about it and going through it. It's like, okay, if you if you take Indiana, Atlanta, and Washington, who's the best player among those three teams? I think it's Bradley Beal, and I don't think it's particularly close. DJ Warren, without question. <laughs> yeah. I think Bradley, yeah. I think Bradley Beal is the best player among those three teams. And maybe it's fool's gold to expect Westbrook to be anything close to what he was for that like three, two and a half month stretch where he was old Westbrook and maybe even better. But if he is anything close to that, and honestly, like talk about saying the right things, like Russ really has kind of said and and been doing the right thing so far in his short time in Washington. Seems like genuinely happy right now with like where he's at. Seems like he's getting along with Scott Brooks great and that reunion's going well. I just think when you're talking about teams at this level, we're like, okay, we're not talking about contenders here. We're talking about teams that are like basically battling to be first round outs. And I know you think the Pacers ceiling is probably higher than that, but that's the way I see it. When you're talking about teams at that level, if one team has like two players as good as Beal and as Westbrook still could be, and I think the Beal-Westbrook fit is better than a lot of people give it credit for, just because of Beal's shooting and off-ball ability compared to Russ's, you know, partnership with James Harden, for example, or Harden and Wall. I, I just think there's enough between the two of them. And then you surround those guys with, a, you know, a ton of shooting too, and maybe some underrated talent in guys they've got in Washington. I think there's enough there that, like, what am I saying at the end of the day? I'm saying I think they will finish with a better record than the Hawks and the Pacers. And I get saying they'll finish out of the Pacers is bold, and that's why it's in this bold prediction piece. But against my own better judgment, I've got the Wizards pegged as seventh in the East right now. All right. So here's what is actually concerning to me about the Pacers. Uh, TJ Warren is week to week right now dealing with this plantar fascia issue that he's been dealing with since the bubble. So the fact that it's lingered this long and that he's still considered week to week is definitely concerning to me and might impact his availability this season and also his productivity when he is available. 
And we know DeMontis Sabonis also missed the entire restart with the same injury. So health is a bit of a concern for the Pacers. And if there's something that sinks them, like a reason that they don't finish in the top seven, that's what it's going to be. Because if this team is healthy, they're way better than the Wizards. <laughs> like they just are. I, I have a lot of faith in just their infrastructure defensively. I think they're just like miles better than where the Wizards are at. Obviously the Wizards are going to be a better offensive team, but look, I, I know like the Pacers don't have a, a kind of prototypical star. Their top end talent isn't all that impressive. You know, nobody on that roster is really going to blow you away, but they have a lot of good players and they have a lot of good players who can play at both ends of the floor. And that to me is a recipe for regular season success. I mean, Oladipo doesn't necessarily have to get back to the level that he was at before, but he he can kind of like get along and put his head down and get through the season without causing too much trouble. Uh, Even if, you know, the shooting remains a, a bit janky and, his drive game isn't as explosive as it was before. He's not getting to the rim or the free throw line as often, which is basically what we saw from him once he came back last season. Uh, he, to me, is still you know an effective secondary creator and a really good backcourt defender. And I thought Brogdon was great last year. You know, obviously a little bit overextended as a primary initiator, but somebody who was really effective playing in the pick and roll with Sabonis. And Sabonis to me is like one of the better elbow hubs in the game just like as a passer as a screener as a guy who can bust mismatches in the post um they've been really effective just running their offense through him and i I, like there aren't really like big gaps on this team there's no like big defensive liability right there's no player who is like gonna cripple their offense when he's out there like it's just there's just a lot of balance and that gives them a really high floor so i think if they're healthy I, i can't imagine them sinking below the wizards um, and I think, you know, honestly, it's fair to say maybe that the Wizards have a higher ceiling. And I, I wouldn't actually disagree with you that the Pacers ceiling is basically like competitive first round series. You know, given the teams that we were just talking about at the top, like the top six in the East, I, it's hard for me to imagine the Pacers beating one of those teams in a series. So I agree their ceiling isn't particularly high, but I think their floor is really high as well. Whereas with the Wizards, I think... They're another one of these teams where their defense is going to be so bad that their offense has to be, like, incredible for them to be anything more than just, like, a fringe playoff team. And it's possible that it will be. I think Westbrook's going to be playing in a lot of space. Uh, I've said before, I think, like, there aren't many big men that you would want him playing next to at the offensive end uh, than Davis Bertans. Davis Bertans, excuse me. And... I think the fit between him and Beal can work at the offensive end. I think that team could be really explosive. Uh, I'm a Troy Brown true believer. I, I love his game, and I think he's going to be really good this season. But they, you know, they, they're working in a lot of new young players. Like I don't know what Abdiya is going to look like. I don't know what Rui Hachimura even is at this point. And I, I just like don't like where is the defensive stability coming from for this team? How are they going to stop anybody? Like it's. Their defense is going to be worse than Atlanta's, I think. Atlanta actually has plus defenders on the yeah. team. Like Atlanta, yeah, Reddish done. and Hunter, done. Yeah, Reddish and Hunter could be effective. Like, you know, even Clint Capella. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think Clint in the right system. a very good defender, but like, I think he's he can do he, more. He's solid for enough. He can he's do more enough. things for you than Robin Lopez. Right. I don't disagree with what you're saying. What you're saying is that 
it's hard to imagine the Wizards ceiling being anything more than French playoff team. I'm predicting them to be a French playoff. I'm predicting them to be seventh place. I'm just predict. I think the only bold thing about this is I'm predicting them to finish ahead of your Pacers. But really, like, what am I predicting? I'm predicting them to be a French playoff team. It's just where I've ranked them among those French playoff teams. It seems to me what's bold about this prediction more so than anything else is that I think the Pacers are more French playoff team than anything else. Okay, I guess what I'm saying is like <laughs> for, this, for this to happen, the Pacers would basically have to be at their absolute floor and the Wizards would have to be at their absolute ceiling. So it's not outside the realm of plausibility. Do you know what I call that? A bold prediction, yes. Correct. <laughs> But it's a fine line between boldness and stupidity, and I'm thinking this wow. tip over toward the latter. Wow. No, no, no. That's that's going too far. Okay, I apologize. Clownery? Can, I, can I say that? That's even worse if you know anything about me or you follow this show. I'm just using the nomenclature of the podcast. That's that's too far. All right. Well, well you came after my Pacers, man. You left me no recourse. <laughs> we'll see what names I have for you when when we're talking about how you incorrectly doubted the Heat all year again, like five or six months ago. Oh my from... god, I cannot wait to incorrectly doubt the Heat again. I can't wait. All right, uh, hit, all right, hit, me, hit me with your last clownish bold prediction. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, my last one is this number ten. This is the last one we got. This is number nine. Oh, number nine. You got one more for me. Yeah. Uh, I have the Suns finishing top ten in defense. What do you think about that? A lot of it depends on Aiden. To me, he is the difference of of like whether they can have the type of defense that when paired with their elite offense actually makes them contenders or not. If it's the Aiden from two years ago when he was a rookie, they're going to struggle to do that. If it's the Aiden that made the strides he made on that end last year, and then you just kind of keep projecting that forward and he takes another big leap on that end, then I think it's possible. Because if you get that Aiden anchoring a defense with Chris Paul and Jay Crowder and Mikel Bridges in front of him, then yeah, I think that's absolutely a defense capable of being top 10. And again, if if their offense is as good as it should be, and a lot of that is, you know, Chris Paul's health and there's some depth issues there, but whatever. If they, if, if they just have average health and their offense is what it should be, and Aiton takes another leap on the defensive end, then then yes, I think they can be a top 10 defensive team. And at that point, we are talking about a contender, like straight up. Yeah. And I I mean, I guess if this is my prediction, then I'm saying that that's what they're going to be, right? <laughs> I think the, I just, I think there's such great roster balance here. And I think with Aiton, his role in the defense is going to be more streamlined and more simplified than it's been at any point in his career to date because of the perimeter talent in front of him, because of the ability that those guys have to deny dribble penetration, to provide help from the wings. I think the biggest issue still with Aiden's defense is his help D like his, his rotations and his reads are still a little bit slow. He still makes mistakes, jumps out of position from time to time, but he has gotten way, way sharper at that end, his reads are way better than they were. And so that just puts him on, like from year one to year two, with such a big leap, it just puts him on a trajectory where you could see him actually growing into like a major impact defender because he's huge. He's got this like seven foot six wingspan and nine foot four standing reach that just allows him to kind of barricade the rim. And it's just a question of his positioning, you know, keeping his hips square to the ball, when he's playing in one-on-two scenarios, you know, making sure that he's maintaining contact with the role man, uh, but still has the reach, obviously, to do... I'm not saying he's going to be like Gobert, but like, 
you know, study some Gobert film and watch like how he's able to use his reach to like bother the ball handler and also maintain contact with the role man. Like that's something that Aiton should be capable of because he's quite mobile. Um, he just has to use that mobility, I think, to actually guide his body in the right directions. And we saw signs of that last season. If he continues, if he continues along that path, then I think he can be a legitimately good defender. And if he's a legitimately good defender, I mean, look at this team, man. Mikhail Bridges, one of the longest and best wing defenders in the league. Chris Paul, how many point guards would you rather have defending at the point of attack and digging down and providing help and jostling with bigger guys on switches than him? Uh, I think that's going to provide a lot of cover for Booker, who who's still a weak spot defensively, but who I think has gotten way better at that end and his compete level has cranked up at that end. Uh, Jay Crowder, like his strength, his versatility, his ability to check fours and like either guard in the post or defend it on the perimeter. Um, they can mix and match with those different guys. Like they can go offense, defense with Crowder and um, Cam Johnson. And I think, yeah, you put all those pieces together, man. And if, if Aiden's the guy I think he's capable of being, then this team definitely has top 10 defensive upside. That's, uh, that's how I feel. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you take the, what I consider the second tier of the West where it's like Mavs, Blazers, Jazz, Suns, Warriors, uh, Pelicans, Grizzlies, I think are like 2B or 3A. But if you take those teams, I think if we're talking ceilings, I think the Suns have the, I truly believe the Suns have the highest ceiling of that group and are the closest to the tier one of Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets if they hit that ceiling. Again, yeah. I think we're talking about a contender if things if things go right for them. I would still say it's Dallas that's the closest Just to jumping into that top tier. Because of Luka and I'll, like, look, I don't know if their offense is going to be as good this year as it was last year. But they didn't just have the number one offense in the league last year, right? Like, they lapped the field in offensive efficiency. They had the best offensive rating in history. And so if they're even close to that again on offense, I think their defense got better. I think adding, uh, you know, a secondary ball handler in Josh Richardson, um, you know, he's not incredible with the ball in his hands, but it's just another option for them where at the end of games, which was a real issue for them last year, right? Like, they were terrible in crunch time, and I think a lot of that came down to both fatigue for Luca and just like the predictability of their offense um, that'll help them while also bolstering their defense. And I actually think, you know, like they can once again be number one in offense and they also have a defense that I think can nudge up toward being like, you know, 12th or 13th in the league. And so that to me gives them maybe a higher upside. Cause I don't think the Suns can really be, I don't think they have that kind of potential on either side of the ball, right? Like they can be a borderline top 10 defense and they can be maybe like a borderline top five offense. Um, but that still to me gives them a slightly lower ceiling than the Mavs have. And obviously they just, I, I'm a big believer in Booker. Like Booker was incredible last year, but uh, they obviously don't have a star on Luca's level right. who's just capable of carrying them the way that he is. Yeah, Booker's not Luca. The one thing I would say to me that is the difference though and why I lean Phoenix is that if we're talking about like ceiling, ceiling, like the absolute best case scenario, and you're talking about competing in a playoff series, perhaps against one of the LA teams, like if we're talking about them as a real contender, while I think Josh Richardson makes the Mavs better defensively, between him and Dorian Finney-Smith, like, I don't know, maybe maybe they use Maxi Kleber in this situation, but like, I don't think they have a guy who can really trouble Kawhi or LeBron size-wise. And I'd 
Not that I think Crowder or Mikel Bridges is going to like shut LeBron or Kawhi down, but I think in terms of like over the course of a long series, I would rather have those guys on the two LA superstars than I would try like a Josh Richardson or a Dorian Finney-Smith because they're too small. And then again, maybe maybe Maxi Kleber's the answer. I don't know. But that to me is why I think the Suns might be a little bit of a better playoff matchup. And man, uh, the the bubble game that those two teams played, I mean, you can argue about how representative that is, just given that, you know, these players were still kind of like playing their way back into form. And it's not like the Clippers had a ton to play for, but Bridges had Kawhi in handcuffs that game. And that was just like one of the more impressive defensive showings of all of last season, in my opinion. So I think that he was a really good defensive option to throw at Kawhi. I definitely don't think the Mavs have anyone on that level. Like they were resorting to Kleba at a lot of points in that matchup last year as their primary on Kawhi. So that is probably the biggest issue with the Mavs when you get into talking about them as like a top flight contender. Uh, I can definitely see that. So I think that point is well made. And I don't know, man, it's just, it's all making me like super excited to see uh, how all this shakes out because much like those top six teams in the East, I think that second tier in the West is like very bunched up and could shake out any number of different ways. All right, my last bold prediction. I wanted to find one for my last one that was kind of like a niche player-related one. So at first I was going to go with Compazzo making an all-rookie team. <laughs> but that, it, which, which is like, I liked it and it, I actually kind of believe in it. But uh, then I was like, nah, that's like almost like too niche and insignificant. So what I ended up going with was Matt Thomas leads the league in three-point percentage, like essentially wins the three-point shooting title this year. Matt Thomas shot 47.4% on only 99 three-point attempts last season. Uh, if you look at the last three years, guys to have at least 99 three-point attempts and shoot it that well, only Joe Harris has done it in the last three years. What it comes down to with him is whether he's going to get the minutes, because I think that's the only issue. If he gets the minutes, he's absolutely in this conversation. In normal season, you need 82 makes to qualify for the three-point percentage leaderboard. That means this year you'll need 72 makes. I worked out the math based on his makes per minute last year. And for him to qualify this year, he essentially needs to play about 780 minutes, which is a little over 10 minutes per game over the course of the entire season. Essentially, if he's just in the rotation, he's going to get the minutes necessary to qualify. And I think he will win the three-point shooting title. And I think based on the preseason and some comments Nick Nurse has made and just the way the Raptors rotation is breaking down, I think he's going to be in the rotation. It might be as like seventh, eighth, ninth man, but I think that'll be enough to get him the 780 minutes he needs to get the shots up that he will need to qualify. His shooting is too tough to keep off the floor given the roster this year. I think um, he's not quite the defensive sieve like people assumed him to be. He competes at least on that end. He moves his feet well laterally. He at least gives them enough of an effort on the defensive end that it'll be, to me, almost impossible to keep him off the floor for at least, you know, 10 minutes a night that I'm saying he needs to qualify. So yeah, in terms of like a niche player bold prediction, it's that Matt Thomas, who honestly, some listeners of this podcast may have literally never heard of, will win the three-point percentage title this year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like he is one of the best shooters in the league, so I no point really in arguing about it like i, I should have gone with Capago making the all rookie team is what you're saying it's just, and i'm not slagging you for the pick or anything like that like i think it's a fun one and if you wanted to go niche then perfectly acceptable bold prediction i just think with with three-point shooting it's like there's a lot of variability in that and so you know who am i to say matt thomas isn't gonna lead the league in three-point shooting right i think if if i were to mount a counter argument it would be that i 
don't, you know, compared to some of the other best teams in the league or some of the other teams in the league that have, you know, elite spot up shooters that might lead the league in this category. I think you could argue that the Raptors don't quite have as much shot creation. And Joe Harris that, would be the biggest threat because of what's... You know, yeah, like Joe Harris playing off of Kyrie and KD or Seth Curry playing off of, you know, Embiid and Ben Simmons. Like, those guys maybe will find their way to, like, more profitable looks than Matt Thomas will. Like, even if, like, if you watch the Raptors game, the looks that Matt Thomas gets, he has to work hard for those looks. Like, he runs a ton off ball... And it's kind of contingent on the Raptors to actually like run a lot of plays for him. Not that like the Nets aren't going to do the same thing with Harris and the Sixers won't do the same thing for Curry. Like, you know, those, those weak side corner actions with those guys coming off of pin downs, et cetera. But I just think it's easier for those other teams to like generate clean looks for their shooters because they have players who just naturally have a ton of gravity, you know, whether it's like, uh, whether it's KD or Kyrie as scorers, whether it's Embiid in the post, whether it's Simmons, you know, kind of like barreling toward the rim in transition. Um, I think it might be a little bit more difficult for the Raptors to find those looks for Thomas to to the point that uh, he can actually lead the league in that category. But he's a hell of a shooter. So, you know, it's definitely on the table. All right, before we get to the fan shout out of the week, I know you don't really want to do this because that was the whole point. We did bold, bold predictions instead of regular predictions. But who's winning the title? So I, I would pick the Lakers. I just like that. The gap that's is Sorry, the gap is even bigger this year than it was last year. Yeah, I agree, but I also think that I wouldn't pick the Lakers over the field. I don't think they're like that overwhelming a favorite. Where, like, I would I would still pick the field over the Lakers, but I do think that they are a clear favorite just because they obviously had the top end talent already, and they just bolstered their depth basically. Which you know, the biggest advantage of that to me is they don't have to ride LeBron as hard in the regular season as they did. And, you know, they can still be, I know I picked the Clippers to finish with the best record in the league, but it could just as easily be the Lakers because of the depth that they have. If Gasol is even the player that he was last year, when toward the end of the year, he was starting to look a little bit washed. I just think that that's a huge ace up their sleeve in virtually any playoff matchup, right? Like, even if he's only going out there for like 12 or 15 minutes a game, like what he allows you to do at both ends of the floor, you know, both with his interior passing and obviously, you know, his ability as a post defender, like he might still be the very best post defender in the league. And if they go into a matchup against Denver, for instance, like we saw like they threw Dwight Howard at Jokic last year. And we were even talking about like, yeah, Dwight's kind of being a clown out there, but he is at least like annoying Jokic a little bit picking up like five fouls in 15 minutes but like now they have the option to just like throw Mark Gasol at him um I I just think like they're versatile they're deep they're obviously incredibly talented at the top of the roster uh they they have to be the pick but I still think there are like enough questions there to say that you know they're not like a runaway favor to the point that I would pick them over collectively the other 29 teams in the league what do you think I'd pick them I'd take them over yeah, I think they're that good. I, I really do think the gap between them and the next best team is that big. It's the LeBron and AD-led team that just went 16-5 and five in the playoffs, except they're deeper. They've got more shot creation. On paper, they've actually got more shooting, if you look at the numbers. Um, and they're just better overall. And uh, I think that is a hell of a thing to have to make up. 
in the playoffs. So yeah, I, I would, even Lakers or the field, I would take the Lakers. All right, fan shout out this week. Uh, we have a couple more that we'll have to get to in the next couple weeks. We're going to reach out to people and make sure we're getting the proper name pronunciation. But in the meantime, fan shout out this week goes out to, on Twitter, he goes by at Jesus Noir. Um, he does have a medium link that uh, seems to insinuate his name is Hentley Small. If if that's not actually your name, we'll just go with at Jesus Noir on Twitter, who uh, engaged in some friendly debate with me on Twitter this week, but uh, kept it respectful and also ended the debate by saying he loves the show and keep up the great work. So at Jesus Noir, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. Again, reminder to all of our listeners, if you've got feedback for us, just want to let us know you're a listener and where you're listening from, hit us up on social media. And I will add as well that at Jesus Noir is listening from, I believe, Toronto. His Twitter bio says he was born in North York, but hardened in Scarborough. So that also made me biased to pick him this week because it seems like we are both Scarborough boys. So there's that. Anyway, again, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think of the show, where you're listening from, how long you've been listening, and we will definitely get you a shout out in the coming weeks. But I think uh, with that, we are ready for another season on Pound the Rock, wouldn't you say, Wolf? As ready as we're going to be, man. All right, I'm, I got to brainstorm reasons to call you a clown next week and, and even even the scales here. I'm not like Yeah, man, take your time. Take your time, figure it out. I'll find something. I'll find something. All right, for Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cachado, Pound the Rock.